of our musicians and leading us into the presence of God this morning. It's a truly wonderful thing to worship. The Bible says that let us enter his courts with thanksgiving and praise. The Bible says God inhabits the praises of his people. So we can be assured and we can even feel here this morning the sweet presence of God. And I'm glad you're here to experience God's presence. What motivates Olympic athletes? What do you think motivates them to train so diligently for so many years? You're right. Gold. We do a lot of things for gold, don't we? You know, they want the gold medal. I mean, I think that's their motivation. So I want to ask you this morning, is it wrong or selfish to serve Christ for the same reason? Trick question. You knew it, right? Is it wrong to serve Christ for reward? Well, the Bible says, Jesus said, in fact, He said, The Son of Man will come in the glory of His Father with the angels, and then He will reward each according to His works. It says in Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 22. It said, Behold, I'm coming quickly. We just sang about that. And my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. In the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, he said that when you're persecuted for righteousness sake, rejoice. For great is your reward. For so persecuted they the prophets who were before you. In Matthew chapter 10, he said, even if you give a cup of cold water, he said, you will not lose your reward. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 26, the Bible speaks about Moses, and I want to pick up with verse 25. It says, he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. That phrase, look to, in the Greek is a compound word, and it means to look away from. But here it says he looked to, which is right, both. Because what he had to do is he had to look away from, and the text says it, he had to look away from the treasures of Egypt in order to look to his eternal reward. And friends, that's what you and I have to do today. We have to look away from the treasures and the pleasures of this life if we're expecting any kind of reward to come. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I want us to stand together as we read the Word of God from this passage of Scripture. This will be our main text today. First Corinthians chapter 3, I'm going to begin with verse 5. Paul, writing to the church of Corinth, said, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. 
For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Holy Spirit, we ask you to speak to our hearts from this passage of Scripture today and all of your word. Lord, I pray that you wouldn't just speak to us, but God, that we would submit ourselves to your teaching by obeying it in our very lives. Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do today. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 8 says, each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. So time and again, Scripture and Jesus tells us to keep our eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on the reward. It's not selfish. It's not wrong. It's motivation. A gold medal is motivation for an Olympic athlete to do his best, to train his hardest for so long. Because that's his motivation. What's your motivation? What's your reason for living? Why are you here today? You see, if it's eternal things, it makes all the difference in this world and the next. It's motivation to serve Christ and not be a spiritual sluggard. Verse 10 says that we're to take heed, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. That word, take heed, is the same root word that we looked at in Hebrews 11 about Moses. He looked away from to look to the reward. This word means to look at, to behold, to beware, to perceive. That is, we need to take some inventory of how well we are doing in the rewards department. So let's do that this morning. I want you to take inventory of your rewards this morning. First of all, I want you to take heed to your fellowship with God. Look at verse 9 and 10. We are God's fellow workers, we are God's field, we are God's building, according to the grace of God which was given to me. Our fellowship with God in this context is our cooperating with Him in your life. Are you cooperating with God? Paul says it is according to the grace of God. Now what is God's grace? Well, some have defined it by using that acrostic, God's riches at Christ's expense, G-R-A-C-E. Indeed, that's a great definition. Some have said it's unmerited favor. Indeed, that too is true. But God's grace is also, when he gives you favor, and when he gives you his uh, riches at Christ's expense, it's not just for you to pocket it. And that's what many Christians are doing with the grace of God. They're just pocketing it. They're just keeping it in their billfold or in their account, hoping it will build up credibility for them someday. Listen, God's grace was meant for you to use. It is His power and His ability. The Bible says in Romans 1, 5, through Him we have received grace for what? Well, what, for an apostleship for what? Obedience. Why did God give you grace? For what? Say it together. Why did God give you grace? For what? 
Obedience. That's why God gave you grace, to obey. More than just going to heaven, to obey. He said, for obedience to the faith. Philippians 2.14, 2.13, actually. I think I put the wrong scripture up there, but that's a good one too. God knew y'all needed that. Somebody here needed that verse right there. I don't know who it is, but God meant that verse for you. Because <laughs> that's not the one I, I wrote. But that's the text. Like Bobby got it right. I got it wrong. But God, God got it right. But here's what I wanted you to hear. It is God working in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God's grace working in you, giving you the desire and the ability to do what he wants you to do. Now, Paul, in verse 9, look how he puts it. We're God's fellow workers. That's God's grace working with you. Now, imagine that. Isn't that wonderful? That God is working with you. You are God's fellow worker. As you're obeying, as you're doing what God's called you, He is working with you, right alongside you. He is in the yoke with you. You're not alone. Paul says you're God's field. That's God's grace working through you. You're God's field, like a farmer has a field and he plants seeds on it and he grows crop and it, and it produces a great crop. You are God's field, God's planting in your life. He's pouring into your life so that you will bear fruit. John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, you're the branches. He said that you cannot bear fruit. Look at verse, four, uh, verse 5. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. We're God's field. God's pouring His grace into us, planting His life into us so that we will grow up and bear fruit for Him. We are, so Paul also said, you're God's building. And that's God's grace working in us. You see, we are the temple of God. We just sang about that again. We are God's temple. God's Spirit lives within us. For what? Just because we can enjoy it? Or is there a greater reason, a greater purpose? Well, God's dwelling in us. He's working in us and through us. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians in chapter 2, verse 19 to 22, he says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being what? We just sang about this. Chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. You are God's building. God is working in you, building you up. And a building has a purpose of people gathering, of coming together for a common purpose. So Paul says it's, it's, your, it's God's grace working with you. It's God's grace working through you. It's God's grace working in you. Are you cooperating with God in those areas of your life? Are you allowing Him to work with you, through you, and in you? So take a look. Take heed at your fellowship with God. Are you cooperating with Him? Are you working with Him? Are you allowing Him to work through you? If so, you're building up great rewards. If not, you'll miss out on much of what He has prepared for you. I want you to notice in verse 10 and 11 of 1 Corinthians 3, we also, he says, we're to take heed of our foundation. He says, according to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation and another builds on it. 
but let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can one lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. What are you building your life on? What's your foundation? Wealth? Your career? Pleasure? Popularity? Maybe it's your religion. Maybe it's your morality. Maybe it's your philanthropy. How you're doing good for others. Because all of, all of that is good. But without the foundation of Jesus Christ, it's sinking sand. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, you know the story he told, the illustration that he used, is about two men. He said, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and it beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Storms are coming, rain's going to fall, wind's going to blow in your life. If your life's built on wealth and it disappears, what happens? If your life is built on your career and you have to, uh, you lose your career for some strange reason, maybe it's health or something else, if it's built on pleasure, if it's built on religion or morality, all of those things are sinking sand without the foundation of Jesus Christ. The Leaning Tower of Pisa. Anybody ever seen a picture of the Leaning Tower of Pisa? You know why it's called the Leaning Tower of Pisa? It leans. Just want to make sure y'all were awake. <laughs> Scientists travel yearly to measure the building's slow descent. They report that this 179-foot tower moves about one-twentieth of an inch every year. And now it's more than 17 feet out of plumb. The 810-year-old uh, tower will one day lean too far and fall and will crash onto the restaurant right next to it. Quite significantly, the word Pisa means marshy land. Now, how many of y'all knew that? <gasps> one person. Very good. It means marshy land, which gives us a clue as to why the tower began to lean before it was even finished. It wasn't built on the rock. You see, you may be standing 810 years later, but if you're not on the rock of Jesus Christ, you're going down. You're going to fall. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, he said, Peter, he said, Simon, you're no longer Simon, you're Peter. Little rock. He said, but upon this rock, the foundation stone, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We just sang that a moment ago, Christ, our cornerstone. And that's what we just read in Hebrew, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, that Christ is the chief cornerstone. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God, and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house 
a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. Listen, Jesus Christ is the rock. You're either going to stand on him or trip over him. And there are a lot of people in this world tripping over him. And you have to trip over Christ to get to hell. If your life isn't built on the rock-solid foundation of faith in Jesus Christ, you will have to, people say, well, why would God send anybody to hell? God never sent one person to hell except the fallen angels. That one-third of heaven that rebelled against him, he expelled them out of heaven, and he created hell as their domain. God has not sent one person to hell, not even one. They tripped over the stone of Jesus Christ and fell into hell because they rejected the one on whom they should have built their life upon. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. When your life is built on Christ, when you've given your life to him, you've asked him to forgive your sin and save you. He becomes your rock-solid foundation. The winds can blow, the storms can come, the rains can fall, the floods can come up, but you'll still be standing when all is said and done because you have Jesus as your rock-solid stone. Listen, my friends, I'm going to ask you this. Is your life consumed with the things of this life? If so, you're building your, your, your thinking sand, and you'll have nothing to show when you stand before Christ. So take heed and make sure that your life is being built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And let me say a word to you Christians. Many of us here today want to give us a word of warning too. Being Jesus is the foundation of our salvation. But I want to ask you Christians, are you actually building on that foundation? You see, nobody... I, I, I've actually... I, let me back up. Yeah, there are some... This happens. I have passed places where... They poured the foundation, and they spent a lot of money digging in the dirt and plowing it up and, and packing it down and pouring the foundation, but they ran out of money, and they never built anything on it. And that's the way a lot of Christians are. They, they, they got saved, and that's all they wanted. They're not building. They're not building anything on it. And look, a foundation without a building is useless. And friends, if you have the foundation of Jesus Christ in your faith and you're not building on it, you're not of use to anybody. You've got to build on it. What are you doing to build on your salvation? So that's the next point. We need to take heed not only to our fellowship with God, not only to our foundation, but we need to take heed to our faithfulness. Our faithfulness. Look at verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, faithfulness is our building materials. It's not only important that we are building on the right foundation, but that we're using the right kind of building materials. That is, are we being faithful to Christ? Are you a faithful prayer? Are you a faithful witness? 
Are you faithful to serve the church of Jesus Christ, which we spoke of last week? Are you faithful to serve others in his name? You see, he mentions six different building materials, three, two different types. One, he says, is gold, silver, precious stones. That's faithfulness. That's the, those of you who are doing the faithful works in the name of Christ. And he also says wood, hay, and straw. That's unfaithfulness. That's those of you who are saved, but you're, you're just using, you're, you're just living for this world. All your time, all your money, all your energy, all your thanks is very horizontal. You have no, or very little vertical in your life. Nothing of, or very little of eternal significance. That's wood, hay, and straw. Let me ask you this. Is it enough to just be saved? For you. I'm talking about for you. I want you to ask yourself this tough question. Am I just content that I'm going to heaven when I die? Many Christians live their life like that. Oh, I'm, I got saved. I'm going to heaven when I die. Thank God. And that's it. That's the end of their Christian experience. I'm going to heaven when I die. Is that enough? In fact, I, I think if, if that's your mentality, I question your salvation. I honestly do. It's not for me to judge, maybe not even for me to question, but listen, when you give your life to Jesus, you gave your life to Jesus, right? <laughs> Did you give your life to Jesus or not? <laughs> well, if you gave it to Jesus, who does it belong to? <laughs> Hello. It's not rocket science. And if you gave your life to Jesus, that means you're saved, and if you're saved and you really love Jesus, then you can't help but serve Him and work for Him. You make time. Baseball, soccer, football, uh, golf, shopping, uh, boating, fishing, hunting, all that stuff. You make time for what's important in your life if you're saved. And if Jesus truly has your life, you live for him. Look at your faithfulness, Christians. We are to stop and take heed of how faithful we are being. Jesus is not going to pat you on the back when you get to heaven and say, well, you did your best, come on in. Jesus will say, you got saved, come on in. But he ain't going to pat you on the back and say you did your best if you didn't do your best. He's not a liar. Isn't it enough just to be saved for you? Are you just content with being saved? I'm going to heaven. Thank God. Look at chapter 4, verse 2. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found, what? A steward. What's a steward? It's somebody who's been given something to care for that's not his. What have you been given that's not yours? You've been given the righteousness of Christ when you got saved. You've been given entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've been given a salvation. None of that is yours. You have been entrusted with it. And that's, that's what saved you. That's what's made you his child. So you're a steward. So it's required in stewards to be found how? Faithful. James chapter 2 
James chapter 2, verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you don't give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, it does not, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you by faith by my works. You believe there is one God? You think you're saved just because you believe in God? He said, You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. You may have a dead faith. You may believe all the right things about Jesus Christ. You may have walked out and got baptized, but you never got saved. Because listen, if you got saved, if you got real faith, you're going to have real works. It's just half, it just, that's just the way it is. No works, no faith. That's what the Bible teaches. You need to look at your faithfulness. And Matthew, look at verse 14 back in our text, 1 Corinthians 3. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. Now let me ask you this. If you put gold, silver, and precious stones in the fire, and if you put wood, hay, and straw in the fire, which one endures and which one is burned up? You know, don't you? The wood, hay, and the straw. So he says if, if your work... Is, is endures, it will receive a reward. If it's burned up, you'll suffer what? Loss. Oh, but you're still saved, but you'll suffer loss. My friends, I'm here to tell you that there's more to it than just going to heaven. If that's all that was, you wouldn't be here today if you're saved. You'd have said the sinner's prayer, kaboom, you'd have been in heaven. Say, I woke some of you guys up. Y'all thought the rapture just came. I love it. <laughs> Woo! Some of you need to the hospital, need a resuscitation. <laughs> if, it's all, if heaven was all there was to the Christian experience, then you would have gone to heaven the moment you said, the moment you prayed and asked Jesus to forgive your sin and save you. You'd have been gone. So I'm here to tell you there's more to it than just heaven. Now, the, first two, first, uh, the next week I'm going to talk about more of our rewards, but the, last two, uh, the next two weeks of September, or the middle two weeks, I'm going to talk about heaven. Because heaven is a part of our goals. But that's not all there is. That's why I started with talking about our rewards, because all we think about is, oh, I just can't wait to get to heaven. Listen, you ain't there yet. You're not there yet. Do something here. Make a difference here. Impact people's life here. Live for gold here. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus told the parable of the stewards, of the, uh, of the talents. And you remember he gave one five, he gave one two, and he gave one one. And to the one who had five and the one who had two, they went out and did something with it. They were good stewards. They invested it. They worked with it. Jesus said in, Ma in Mark, the same parable in Mark, Jesus, uh, the, the master said, do business till I come. Well, what is the master's business? What is the business of the church of Jesus Christ? What is your business? Is it to make money to pay for your bills and, and to keep your family afloat? No, there's business greater than that. You see, when, when we're raising our kids, you know, it's our business as parents to keep up with our kids. It's our business to provide for their needs. Yes, that's part of our business. But listen, when Jesus was 12 years old, 
He didn't think it was his business to keep up with his mom and dad. And so he stayed behind in Jerusalem. Can you imagine being three days not knowing where your kid is? An announcement came on at the ball game Friday night. 14-year-old girl. Did anybody know if she was ever found? Girl's been missing for two and a half hours. They described what she was wearing. Pan and I looked, oh, can you imagine what their par- her parents are going through? She, this little girl's missing. Well, can you imagine what Mary, Joseph, were going through for three days? Jesus is missing. They find, come all the way back to Jerusalem. They find him in the temple. And what is he doing there? He's there asking questions from the teachers, and he's making comments. And he told Mary, he said, Mom, why were you worried? Didn't you know I must be about what? My father's business. Are you being about the father's business? Are you being about your business? You know, the father's business is more important. You're not going to get rewarded in heaven for taking care of your business. Unless you're doing it as unto him. Whatever you do, do it heartily with all your heart. But if you're, if you're neglecting the father's business just to take care of your business, then you're going to lose your reward. He said to the five, the one with five and the one with two that made it ten and four, He said, well done, good and faithful servant. To the one with one talent that did nothing with it, he just kept it. Hey, it's just good enough that I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Praise Jesus, I'm going to heaven when I die. You got the talent, you got what it takes to get to heaven, but you don't do anything with it. This man went out and he buried it because he was scared to lose it. And here's what he said to that man. You wicked and lazy servant. And it says he cast this unfaithful servant into outer darkness where there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let me ask you, which do you prefer? Reward or loss? Every one of us here would say, I want rewards. So what are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? And please don't misread me. I'm not saying that nobody's doing anything about it, but I do know when I preach to a congregation like this that 20% of you are really doing something about it, 80% of you aren't doing anything. But statistically, that's the way it falls out. 20% of the people in any given church are, are carrying the load in, in every way, and 80% are just bench warmers. They're spectators. They come and watch what happens. Or they're consumers. They come to consume what other people are are working for. And if it doesn't taste just right, then they're going to go somewhere else. One of the most tragic events during the Reagan presidency was the Sunday morning terrorist bombing of the Marine barracks in Beirut. Hundreds of Americans were killed and wounded during their sleep. Many of us can still recall the terrible scenes as these dazed survivors worked to dig out their trapped brothers from beneath the rubble. A few days after the tragedy, Marine Corps Commandant Paul Kelly visited some of the wounded survivors that were then in Frankfurt, Germany, in a hospital. Among them was Jeffrey Lee Nashton, severely wounded in the incident. Nashton had so many tubes running in and out of his body that a witness said he looked more like a machine than a man, but he survived. As Commandant Kelly came to Nashton, Nashton struggled to move and racked with pain. He motioned for a piece of paper and a pen, and he wrote a brief note, and he handed it to the Commandant. On the slip of paper were but two words, 
You can probably guess them. Semper Fi. The Latin motto of the Marines, meaning forever faithful. With those two simple words, Nashton spoke for the millions of Americans who have sacrificed body and limb for their, and lives for their country, those who remain faithful. I want Jesus to say to me and to you when you get there, simplify. You were forever faithful. Now, he knows you're not going to be perfect, and he knows I'm not going to be perfect. I want to ask you about not perfection. I want to ask you about direction. Are you even trying? Are you moving closer to fellowship with God, cooperating with His grace, His working with you, in you, through you? Are you building your life and the Christian on, building on the foundation that you've received? Are you putting anything there, gold, precious stones, Silver, are you building on that foundation with faithful, godly works, doing the service of the Lord, the business of the Master? There's one more thing here, and I close with this. They said we're to take heed to, and that's your fiery judgment. Verse 13 to 15, he said, Each man's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is if anyone's work which he has built on endures he will receive a reward if anyone's work is burned he will suffer loss but he himself will be saved yet so as through fire did you know everybody in this room is going to have a fiery judgment everybody everybody in this room will have a fiery judgment some of you are going to have the great white throne judgment the Bible talks of that in Revelation 20. It said, I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Some of you are going to stand before the great white throne judgment. He talks about the dead. Never in scripture are the saved referred to as the dead. Never. They're either referred to as the church or they're referred to the, as the redeemed. Even in the book of Revelation, they're never referred to as the dead. Here he's talking about, without question, scholars agree, He's talking about those who are without Christ. The dead in spirit, those who never were saved in the first place, those who never received the life that Jesus Christ can get, they're going to stand before the great white throne judgment, and they're going to be judged. And because their names are not found written in the Lamb's book of life, they're going to be cast into the lake of fire to be forever tormented. God forbid that that would be any of you. But if you get there, it's because you tripped over the rock of Jesus Christ. You rejected him. Even today, if you walk out of here today and you say, I know I'm lost. I want to keep living this way. I want to keep sowing my wild oats and then one day I'll get saved. You may not have that one day and you wake up in hell one day, you'll remember this opportunity you had today forever and it will torment you and haunt you forever. Some of you will stand before the fiery judgment of the great white throne and some of you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ which is mentioned Throughout Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 is one. 
He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the, the, the things done in the body, whether good or bad. The Bible also refers to it in, in Romans chapter 14, the judgment seat of Christ. He says, why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is where believers go. Believers will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The great white throne judgment is for unbelievers. Believers will have the judgment seat of Christ. Now you're saved. You're going to heaven. But that's not enough. Not if you really are motivated. Not if you really are saved. Not if you really are filled with the love of God. And here he says, the day will declare it. The day, capital D, if you notice that was in the scripture, in, verse, in 1 Corinthians uh, 3, the day will declare it. That means it will make it plain. He said the fire will reveal it. That word reveal means to take the cover off, to disclose. And then he said the fire will test it. That is, examine it and prove it of what sort it is. So we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, not for our salvation because that's been settled, but for our rewards. And all of our works are going to be weighed. Now, not for heaven or hell because we're already going to heaven, but our works will be tested. And they'll be all put, let's, let's just imagine, I'm not saying this is what Scripture says, but let's just imagine they're all put in this cauldron over the fire. All the faithful works and all the dead works and all the junk in our lives are put in this cauldron under, over this great heat. And everything that is wood, hay, and straw is consumed. And only you'll be rewarded for what's left. How full will your cauldron be at the end of that fire? That's what you're going to be rewarded for. And next week, I'm going to show you why it's so important to have something when you get there. Next week. Don't miss next week. Say it's Labor Day. I'll be here. You say, well, you're paid to be good. I know, and the rest of y'all are good for nothing. But anyway. Next week, I'm going to tell you why you need something. You need some rewards. I'm going to show you why it's not just enough to make it to heaven. It's very, very important, of utmost importance. So I'm going to ask you again, will your works stand the test? Will they be consumed by fire? So this morning, I've asked you to take heed, spiritual inventory. How's your fellowship with God? Are you cooperating with His grace? What's your life built on? I mean, really. What's it really built on? I'm not talking about on Sunday mornings when we all act spiritual. I'm talking about Monday through Saturday. What's your life really being built on? Foundation. How's your faithfulness? What kind of building materials are you using? How do you know that you're actually building on the foundation of Jesus Christ? You ask yourself the question, what am I doing that really lasts forever? What are you doing Monday through Saturday that really lasts forever? That's what I've tried to challenge you in this gold series. Is I've so far told you four things over the last four weeks of things that you could live for that last forever. First of all, God, He's forever. Second of all, souls. Every person has a soul. And if you'll labor for souls, if you'll seek to lead souls to faith in Jesus Christ, that lasts forever. Every human being is going to last forever somewhere. 
Third of all, the church, the church of Jesus Christ. That's forever. And then today, your rewards. That's forever. So what are you doing Monday through Saturday that's forever? That's what I want to challenge you to start thinking about every day of your life. What are you doing that's really gold? That's going to stand the test of fire. Would you bow with me this morning?